t-shirt. Oh, that's just the old bag blowing in the wind. What's the difference between a piece of garbage and a man? Hey, let's watch these men. Yeah, they're so unreal. See how some were born to kill? See how some were born to feel? Just
pero cariñoso Yo soy como el chile verde Llorona, picante Pero sabroso Yo soy como el chile verde Llorona, picante Pero sabroso Ay de mí Llorona, llorona, llorona Llévame al río
Gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it down to your body, sitting. Break it down, break it down, break it down. Break it down, body sweating. Break it down, break it down, break it down, body sweating. Break it down, break it down, break it down, body sweating. Break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down. Booty rockin', show stopping, everybody back poppin' me. Jerk it, girl, work it, work it till your stomach hurtin'. Don't stop, gotta get it, get it, break it off your body sweating. Everybody watchin', that's on me. We stoppin', let them know you worth it. Dust it off and jerk it. Jerk it, jerk it, dust it off and jerk it. Let them know you worth it. Dust it off and jerk it, jerk it, jerk it, dust it off and jerk it. Go. Break it down, break it down, break it down. 
Hello, I'm Chuck Weiss, and welcome to Close Encounters. I'll act as your guide while together we explore the twin phenomena of UFOs and alien abduction. In my last podcast, I described how my friend Harold is a genuine psychic who channels a chorus of invisible greys that sometimes answers our questions. Tonight, I'll tell you more of what they told us. But first, this message. What is CopWatch? CopWatch is a network of activist organizations in the United States and Canada that observe and document police activity while looking for signs of police misconduct and police brutality. Their database is a permanent searchable repository of complaints filed against police officers at copwatch.org. You can report an incident for permanent inclusion in their database at copwatch.org. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Muni Radio in San Francisco.
Tonight I'm featuring the music of Cusco, a composer from Peru. That was titled Northeaster. In my last podcast, titled Two Exclusives, I described what the Greys had told Harold and me about the original alien hybrid program that was started in the 1940s, how it was conducted from an underground laboratory by Nazi paperclip scientists supervised by the Greys and how the war between the Earth and the Flying Saucers started in July of 1947 when our military shot down a disc outside Roswell, New Mexico. Over the years, Harold's Invisible Chorus of Greys has conversed with us on many other topics as well. Here is some more of what they have told us. I was able to find out a little more about the Greys as a species. When I asked, Harold's voices confirmed my suspicion that they worked to perpetuate the mechanism of reincarnation. In my book and in Episode 6 of these Close Encounter podcasts, I explain how I came to this startling conclusion. The greys are interdimensionals in that they come from another dimension rather than being true extraterrestrials, beings from other planets like Earth. That being said, however, I will often use the term ETs when referring to any species not of this earth, including the greys. It is the duty of the small greys to genetically create the physical bodies into which they place our souls about to be reborn. Our bodies are evidently custom-made. They compared it to creating a glove to fit a specific hand. The greys are sometimes said to use the word container when referring to the human body, but that's not true. They use the word shell instead. Container is a word that was most likely coined by Majestic so that they could determine the source of any report that used it. Those that refer to shells are considered genuine, while those that use the word container are known to originate from one of their own disinformation sources. I asked the greys directly, and they confirmed my suspicions that the human race is one of their creations. Actually, the greys are not the only ones to have had a hand in the making of humans. The three specific classifications of man, Occidental, Oriental, and Negroid, are actually mixtures of three different alien DNA strands with a species of primate here on Earth, most likely the bonobo chimpanzee. The missing link, for which anthropologists have long been looking, is in fact a gray. Although the greys admit that they are one of the three alien races that use their own DNA to create Homo sapiens sapien, modern man, they didn't specify the other two alien donor species. The greys are cloned to their specific purpose and are awakened with full memory of their previous incarnations. Until recently, the greys have been an unemotional species, but they've recently created, through their own alien hybrid program, a new generation of themselves with the full base of human emotions. Harold and I found that his chorus will sometimes evade a question. While they have been surprisingly forthcoming on several subjects and have answered many specific questions that we've asked, Harold and I found that they will remain silent A. When humans wouldn't understand the answer, their words, B. When the greys genuinely don't know the answer, or C. When they've been told to remain silent by still higher beings than themselves. There is a definite hierarchy in the heavens above us. At first, the answers we received to our questions often seemed ambiguous or even contradictory. Now, whenever Harold submits a question to his chorus, he has them vote so that we can have a better feel for the validity of any answer that they give. 
on any specific question, they'll report back to him on the percentage that voted yes or no, as well as those that declined to say anything at all. Now that half of Harold's chorus is made up of the new emotional gray hybrids that are much more sympathetic to us humans, a vote of 65% is considered to be almost unanimous. The tall grays are what have been called throughout the centuries guardian angels. They are assigned to a human individual for their lifetime and facilitate all the major life events that have been programmed to unfold, beginning obviously with the person's birth. Later on, at the outset of puberty, a follow-up visit is scheduled to monitor the hormonal changes taking place. Another major life event of concern to the Greys comes when the individual is of an age when he or she can start a family. For abductee experiencers, the selection of a mate is seldom, if ever, left to chance. Originally, the Greek god Cupid shot his arrows not to create feelings of love between two people, but instead strong feelings of lust. The ancient pagan festivals that honored that horny little deity always ended in revelry and sex orgies. Cupid was, in fact, a grey. Creating feelings of heavy lust between two people whose DNA is considered to be a good match is their favorite method of bringing people together for procreation. For them, it's all about getting the next generation born, moving that DNA on down the line. Some of the family bloodlines that are monitored go back to the creation of civilization itself, to the first cities that man built after trading in his old nomadic existence for the food surpluses that an agricultural life could offer. Abraham, the patriarch of the Hebrews, was born in Ur, the first documented city ever built, and Jews as a people have long been of special interest to the Greys. People of Scottish or Celtic ancestry are also tracked because of their ancient lineage. It was recently discovered, for example, that the gene for red hair comes down to us from Neanderthal man, who we now know lived alongside modern man and mated with him before dying out as a parallel species. Indigenous people the world over are also candidates for long-term monitoring by the Greys. The Greys have been with mankind from the beginning of time and have made the human race to receive the souls that they recycle. That's why they know us so well. They created us and the world on which we live. Earth was seeded with life so that it could be used as a school where souls incarnate in order to gain the experience necessary to advance to higher orders of consciousness. There are many other planets that host sentient life, but none evidently with as large an emotional base as us humans. Harold was told that while other life forms may be capable of two or three emotional responses at best, they have nowhere near the broad range of feelings that we do. It is the wide range of emotions that we can draw on in any situation that allows us to have and exercise free choice. We have the ability to choose different ways to react, and that creates multiple possibilities. Souls that want to take the fast track to consciousness raising elect to incarnate here on Earth. But, as we all know, it's not easy. Earth is a tough school and recognized as such throughout the galaxy. Only the most determined to advance choose to be born here. Because of the importance that higher beings place on Earth and its inhabitants, no aliens are allowed to interfere with the affairs of men. There is a Star Trek-like prime directive in place, and it's just not permitted. They can visit to observe, but that's all. 
But what then to make of the stories of aliens seen working alongside humans in underground bases? Although I've never given such tales much credence, thinking that they were retellings of old disinformation pieces, I decided to ask Harold's voices nonetheless, and was surprised by the answer they gave. The aliens that are seen working with the military are clones, created using DNA taken from the bodies recovered from downed saucers. They are soulless creatures, not having been infused with one, and are raised by Majestic for its own purposes. Which leads me to restate what I've said before, but needs to be as widely understood as possible. There are no hostile aliens visiting Earth. Any stories to the contrary are either outright pieces of disinformation or hysterical interpretations of the available evidence. No less a personage than Dr. Werner von Braun, the man in charge of our space program up to and including Armstrong's historic walk on the moon, said so. Dr. Carol Rusin was von Braun's protege, and she has stated in several interviews that he told her numerous times that the military-industrial complex had a list of four counterfeit threats to the United States that would be used to support their funding. The first, the communist threat, was already in play at the time. The second was to be a terrorist threat, followed by an asteroid threat, and after that would come the threat of an alien invasion. While each of these threats was supposed to stimulate military spending, the alien threat was also meant to support their control of space. Von Braun had wanted her to work to ban space-based weapons so that international treaties against their use would be in place by the time the alien threat was scheduled to begin. According to Dr. Rusin, he told her on several occasions that human contact with many different species of extraterrestrials was already a reality, and that, quote, none of them are hostile. We're going to stop and take another break. When we come back, I'll tell you the incredible but true story of Charlie, my beautiful black-and-white kitten that was infused with the soul of a human. The House of Pride radio show, LGBT radio for everyone. Funky interviews, funky beats, talking drag queens, and much, much more. It's LGBT radio for everyone. Listen live every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio, LGBT radio for everyone. Celebrating the considerable contributions of the LGBT community in San Francisco and beyond. Every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. Listen here for hot new local beats by LGBT artists and listen to live interviews. Tune in. Turn on every Wednesday, 6 to 8 p.m. House of Pride Radio with drag queen personalities, Tweeka Turner and Pearl T.
That was White Buffalo by tonight's featured composer, Cusco. The story I'm about to tell you is true. To that I swear. It is so utterly fantastic, though, and opens up so many questions for those who might believe me that I'm sure most people won't. But the truth is the truth, and the universe is much stranger than anyone can imagine. I've always thought that every life form needs the companionship of one of its own. It was with that thought in mind that I went in search of a new friend for my cat, Piwacket. I've had Piwacket since he was but a few months old, after being rescued from underneath a parked car. It was hard at first, raising a feral kitten, but it wasn't until he was a full-grown adult and a little more civilized that I thought he was ready to live with another cat. I found Charlie at the local SPCA. She was a black-and-white female kitten with the biggest and fluffiest tail I have ever seen, so incredibly beautiful that I felt lucky that no one had already adopted her. There are colored pictures of Charlie and Piwacket in my book, Abducted by Aliens. I'll tell you how you can get a free copy later in the show. Charlie had a black marking on her upper lip that looked like a Charlie Chaplin mustache, thus her name. For those who might think it too masculine a name for a female, there was a popular perfume in the late 1970s called Charlie, which aired TV commercials featuring a leggy blonde striding down Fifth Avenue in New York City. In time, Piwacket finally accepted Charlie as part of the family, but Charlie would run and hide when anyone came to visit. She was always as skittish as she was beautiful. Lila has been a friend of mine now for over 35 years. She is also a psychic and channels her own invisible source of information. I've learned long ago to trust her perceptions. Shortly after I brought Charlie home, Lila came over for coffee and conversation. Her psychic impression of Charlie was that she had been surprised to wake up, quote, wearing a real fur coat. Lila didn't elaborate, so I didn't know what to make of that strange remark. Lila is very careful not to interpret the information she receives, just to report it. She also said that she felt that Charlie ran and hid when anyone came to visit, not out of fear, but more because of embarrassment. Again, Lila didn't elaborate as to what Charlie might be embarrassed about. Later, however, Harold's voices explained in elaborate detail. Harold visits me every week for dinner and conversation. On one such visit, he interrupted me to say that his chorus of invisible greys had something to tell me. I stopped what I was doing and gave him my full attention. Usually, the greys only spoke through Harold in answer to our questions, but this time they were volunteering information. There was a pause as he listened to his voices. Finally, Harold said, Majestic is spying on you. I think I was a bit annoyed when I shot back. Of course they are. You already told me about the cameras and microphones in the apartment. No, they're saying that Majestic is spying on you through Charlie's eyes. Harold went on to explain that Charlie had been planted at the SPCA for me to adopt, and that Majestic was using her to psychically view through her eyes what she saw in my apartment. But that wasn't all that Harold's voices had to say. They went on to explain that Charlie and I had been together before, in another life. In a past incarnation, Charlie and I evidently had been engaged to be married when we were killed, as we lay in our bed, by a jealous lover. 
I was still trying to absorb this weird piece of information when it got even stranger. Our murderer, it seemed, later incarnated at this time as a woman and then joined Majestic when she grew up. When she saw my photo and read my file, she recognized me as the focus of her insane jealousy, which still consumed her. She had herself assigned as the leader of the surveillance team that harasses me, and then, using technology stolen from the greys, captured Charlie's human soul and put it into the body of a kitten for me to adopt at the SBCA. Wow! What a story! I didn't know whether to believe it or not until Lila later confirmed it to be true, and added her own little detail that seemed to me even more incredible. This woman, Lila said, wasn't really a human at all. Her body housed a fire sprite from the fifth dimension. Let me explain. String theory, the current model being used by theoretical physicists, postulates eleven dimensions of reality, each made up of an infinite number of universes. We exist in the third dimension because we perceive in three dimensions. Elementals on our plane of existence, such as water nymphs, woodland spirits, and fire sprites, yes, they are real, are semi-conscious energies well beneath sentient beings like us humans. Those that exist in the fifth dimension, however, are formidable spirits especially to those who reside on planes of existence that are beneath them. Lila went on to say that this particular fire sprite wanted to experience life as a human. She was granted her wish but became overwhelmed, though, by all the emotions that came with being human, especially jealousy. That's what motivated her to kill Charlie and me in a past life and to continue her vengeance in this one by harassing me as a majestic agent. What an incredible story. But there it was, told and independently confirmed by two real psychics who each channel their own unseen sources of information. I was born in Missouri, known as the Show Me State. I always took that slogan to mean that one should be skeptical of new information, but if it's later proven to be true, it has to be incorporated into that person's world view. Still, it took a while for me to accept what Harold and Lila had told me. I must admit I felt a little uneasy being tied karmically to my cat. In my next podcast, I'll describe how I was able, with the help of my closest friends, to rid myself of that vengeful fire sprite. If you've noticed, I've been talking about Charlie in the past tense. That's because she's no longer with me. Harold tells me that she was taken by Majestic. They came into my apartment when I was away to do something with her I don't know what. She ran in a panic, straight out my second-story window. She was immediately scooped up, Harold said, quote, by men dressed in suits. Lila later said that she also felt that Charlie jumped out the window. When she was a kitten, Charlie had a chip installed as part of the SPCA adoption process so that she could be returned to me if she ever got lost, but no one ever called. That was months ago. Harold now says that she's been reborn as a baby girl. Perhaps she died of her injuries from the fall. Or perhaps Majestic put her down, I don't know. The important thing is that her soul is now free to continue its journey through the reincarnation process as a human. There are other people in the UFO community who say that they communicate with invisible entities. 
One such person, abduction researcher Dolores Cannon, is the author of several large volumes, including The Custodians Beyond Abduction, which documents her recorded communications with ETs, many of which were in the presence of other UFO researchers. I was introduced to Dolores Cannon at a UFO convention a number of years ago and was in the audience when she told a room full of interested people that she had been instructed by her ET contacts to tell people to do two things. First, she was to say that all past life karma is forgiven. Instead, people are to concentrate on cleaning up their karma in this life. In other words, don't wait until tomorrow to say that you're sorry. Second, people should concentrate on eliminating fear from all aspects of their lives. These two items make up the life work upon which we're to concentrate, she said. If these directions come from the masters of reincarnation, as I believe they do, then we need to listen to them and to follow their instructions carefully. If all past life karma is forgiven, and it is now only the karma from this life that one need address, it would appear that there is a sense of urgency on the part of the ETs as relates to the spiritual development of human souls on Earth. Is time running out? It is said that Earth is a school and that we're all here to learn our karmic lessons. Is the school closing? Are we about to graduate? The second directive is really the hard one. While it may be difficult for most of us to say that we're sorry when we transgress, it takes real courage to admit to oneself, despite the false front that we put up for others to see, that deep down inside, we're really afraid. Fear is the big nut to crack. It is the root of all things negative and only serves to stifle our spiritual growth and limit our potential. The only positive thing that can be said about fear is that we become stronger by overcoming it. In future Close Encounter podcasts, I'll continue to pass along to my listeners anything that Harold and I may learn from his chorus of invisible grays. But right now, we're going to take a break, and when I come back, I'll pick up where I left off reading from my book, Abducted by Aliens. Safe sex is more than just avoiding STIs and pregnancy, no matter what you're into. Make sure that you and those around you feel safe, comfortable, and are having a good time. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio.
That was The Hunt by Cusco, a Peruvian composer and a virtuoso on the pipes. We've come to the part of these podcasts where I read from my book, Abducted by Aliens. If you prefer to read it yourself, it's available free as a PDF download at my website, abductedbyaliens.org. I can also be contacted at that address. In my last podcast, I described how I found evidence that I had been milked of my semen after taking an afternoon nap, how my daughter had gone back to sleeping with her mother again after trying unsuccessfully to sleep alone in her own room, and of my psychic experiences while attending the 1994 Whole Life Expo. I also described the 12 indicators of alien abduction as presented by Dr. Edith Fior at that expo in her seminar on the subject, and how I personally exhibited 11 of them. Picking up where I left off on page 58 of Abducted by Aliens, or How I Learned to Cope with High Strangeness, Government Harassment, and My Mother, A True Story, Copyright 2008. Sunday, April 24th. Reflecting upon my experiences of yesterday at the Whole Life Expo, I was struck by the types of people I saw attending the CE4-related events. Most of the crowd looked like your average convention-going public, mainly concerned with finding the right meeting room, getting good seats, looking around for friends, generally enjoying the experience. Then there were the ones who looked very serious, even worried, They would walk into the room totally absorbed in their thoughts, usually led by a friend or companion. They took notes, hanging on every word, but they definitely were not having a good time. These people were obviously personally involved in the CE4 experience. There were also the wannabes, people who enjoy the idea of being among the abducted. There are so many people who want to escape their lives of quiet desperation, as Thoreau described it, that they easily enter into fantasy worlds. If they can as easily exit from those worlds, their fantasies can be beneficial. Even if they become obsessive about it, if their fantasies revolve around something obviously fictitious, like science fiction or mystery novels, then there's no harm done. Hey, I'm a Star Trek fan myself. However, when the situation is a real mystery, like the UFO phenomena, then the line between reality and fantasy becomes too thin for many people to distinguish. While they can't be a Luke Skywalker or Captain Kirk, they can fantasize about being one of the in-crowd of people who have actually experienced a close encounter with a UFO or an extraterrestrial. These people don't know when they're well off and should be careful of what they wish for. To the delight of the intelligence community, which has worked long and hard to cover up anything having to do with UFOs, they only serve to muddle the waters. I'm sure that there were many silent cameras clicking away yesterday during the two CE4-related events. It goes without saying that if the government is interested in real UFO activity, then they are also interested in those people who have real contact with their occupants. Since the Roswell incident in 1947, our government has been willing to ruin the reputation of many professional observers, such as airline pilots, police officers, etc., by circulating false reports of their drunkenness or mental instability. It's only prudent to assume that it's ready to use such tactics to discredit abductees as well. The stakes are even higher today as more and more people are beginning to talk about their contact experiences. 
Governments around the world are doing everything possible to prevent human contact with extraterrestrials. Such contact only serves to undermine the military-industrial complex which really runs this planet. Who will be willing to die for God and country anymore when it becomes obvious that not only are we not alone in the universe, but that the neighbors are here knocking at our door? Late Evening The sexual genetic nature of this phenomenon may suggest why the number of cases involving women over 50 is reported to be so much less for women who are younger. And it seems that alien abductions are all but unknown for women over 60. As a man, however, I have many more years of sperm production ahead of me. Therefore, I can probably expect that my visits will continue for many years to come. Arian suggested a vasectomy as a final answer to my problem. If I no longer have what they want, then there would be no need to come and take me in the night. I know that she's right, and, considering all the anxiety that this is causing me, it is probably not an unreasonable course of action to at least consider but I must say that the idea of a vasectomy has always repelled me. I know that I don't want to sire any more children. The future is going to get pretty unpleasant for most of humanity, starting in Catherine's lifetime. The greenhouse effect, toxic waste, the thinning of the ozone layer, overpopulation, and diminishing natural resources will all combine to lessen the expectations of every creature on Earth, except perhaps the cockroach. Maybe my manhood is so insecure that subconsciously a vasectomy seems like castration. Or maybe subconsciously I know that a vasectomy will help mess up some intergalactic genetic experiment that has some profound importance for all the races of beings involved, including us. Who knows? I just know that I don't want one. And of course, it wouldn't do anything to help Catherine. I can't ask her to have a hysterectomy as a cure for her night terrors. If I remain involved in this, however, there is always the chance I can help her in some way. Monday, April 25th. Included at the end of the book Communion is a statement from Donald E. Klein, M.D., attesting that he had examined Whitley Strieber and found that he was not suffering from a psychosis or any other mental disorder, and that Strieber had made an honest attempt while under hypnosis to describe what he had remembered. The statement ends with this observation. Quote, he appears to me to have adapted very well to life at a high level of uncertainty. End quote. I wish I could. There is a short film titled Powers of Ten, which, in order to show the power of geometric progression, starts with a close-up of an object one meter square and then moves the camera back in a series of photos, each of which is ten times further away than the one before. It isn't long before the camera's perspective is deep in space. By the time the camera zooms past the planets and leaves our solar system, the viewer begins to feel pretty insignificant. The film then reverses the process and zooms from outside our galaxy back through the solar system to finally come home again. When the Earth comes back into view, viewers feel a sense of relief at having found their way home from such a long and disorienting distance. I've been snatched away from everyday reality so fast and the disorientation that I feel as a result is so profound that I'm not sure that I can ever find my way home again. Is this what they mean by a paradigm shift? I'm hopeful that with hypnotherapy I will eventually be able to sleep comfortably again, even if these nighttime visits continue. It's not the visits themselves that I dread. 
In fact, I often physically feel much better afterwards. It's the implications of these visits that boggle my mind. I watched an episode of In Search Of on television today. It was about Michael Rockefeller, the son of the former governor of New York. He had been an amateur anthropologist and had been trying to document the culture of a Stone Age tribe in New Guinea when he died. This tribe was already losing faith in their old ways and customs. Their sense of identity was evaporating fast as they began to want more and more of what Western civilization has to offer. When a man finds out that in a larger universe he's actually a mouse, what happens to his sense of identity? Eventually my body will become used to the research scientist plucking it from its cage to poke and probe. I'm uncertain, however, as to how to react to this new reality that treats me personally in such an impersonal manner. Tuesday, April 26th. This is strange. I want to get this down on paper while this is still fresh in my mind and before my sleeping medication takes effect. It's 11.15 p.m. and my dear friend Dick Mayfield is napping on my couch in the living room while I prepare for bed myself. I've known Dick for over 20 years. I rented a room from him back in 1972 while I went to college on the GI Bill and we've been good friends ever since. Dick has been in poor health for years. In 1980, his doctor told him that he had only six months to live due to an enlarged heart. Although he has outlived that doctor and two others, his health still hasn't improved 14 years later. In addition to his heart problems, two years ago he was diagnosed with terminal prostate cancer. Again, the medical establishment gave him but a few months to live. Dick declined any radiation treatments or chemotherapy, preferring to die if need be with dignity rather than be slowly consumed by the very therapies meant to save his life. Shortly after Dick made that decision and was prepared emotionally to meet his end, the tumor spontaneously arrested itself. It had all the doctors scratching their heads. This afternoon I received a short phone call from Dick. With desperation in his voice, he asked me if he could spend the night on my couch. Of course, I said he could, and he said that he would come right over. As soon as I hung up the phone, my mother called. She has maintained her own close relationship with Dick over the years, his age being much closer to hers than mine. She asked me if Dick had called me yet. He evidently had called her first. When I replied that he had, she explained that he was close to suicide and that he needed to be with someone tonight. Mother lives with her boyfriend, and Dick probably felt uncomfortable asking to stay with them. I assured Mother that I would take good care of Dick, and we ended our conversation. When Dick arrived, he told me that, although he can't explain why, he gets extremely anxious at night, and sometimes he just doesn't want to be alone. I offered him my sofa bed, but he said that he hasn't slept lying down for more than six years since his nighttime anxiety attacks first began. He preferred instead to sleep sitting up on the couch. Upon questioning, he also revealed that he hadn't had more than two or three hours of uninterrupted sleep for equally as long. He can usually go back to sleep again, but his nighttime rest is always disturbed. He admitted that he generally sleeps better during the day. It seems that he also suffers from recurring bouts of depression, which, when it first develops, can be so strong as to be paralyzing. The depression diminishes over time, but always returns again with renewed intensity. These symptoms sound so familiar. Can it be that my good friend is also an abductee? 
He suffers from night terrors, has sleep disorders, and has a documented medical spontaneous healing. I wish I could question him more closely to see how many more of Edith Fiore's CE4 indicators he's experienced, but Dick is a very private person and I don't want to be too intrusive. Dick was quite concerned as he relayed all of this to me and seemed to be at his wit's end. I reassured him that, in fact, I too suffer from the same sleep disorders. His eyes widened in amazement as I described my own patterns of depression, anxiety attacks, and nighttime insomnia. When I had finished, he seemed relieved to find in my story confirmations of his own unusual condition. I further explained that although our symptoms are unusual, we are not alone in this, and that it has been estimated that up to 2% of the general population suffer from the same disrupted sleep patterns and cycles of depression. It's something of a shock to find that I have a close friend who might be a fellow abductee. I wonder how many of my friends share these experiences. For those who are involved in this phenomena, do birds of a feather flock together? I don't know. A researcher later confirmed to me that abductee experiencers do seem to unknowingly gravitate toward each other. In 1992, Robert Bigelow commissioned a survey by the Roper Organization to determine how many people share the most common indicators of alien abduction. The results suggested that 7 million Americans, 2% of the population, might be involved in the phenomenon. Note, if you Google it, be sure to indicate the year. Roper did another, smaller internet survey in 1999, but the 1992 polling was done in face-to-face -face interviews in almost 6,000 homes across the country, a feat that couldn't be duplicated today. Thursday, May 12th. I saw Dr. Irving Katz today. He's an elderly Jewish urologist who has many years' experience performing circumcisions. My primary doctor referred me to him in an attempt to determine if there might be a medical explanation for the scar on the underside of my penis. He described it as an extension of the medium raphe, the dividing line between the left and right halves of the scrotum. Although it is rare, he said that it sometimes extends from the scrotum sac up the underside of the penal shaft. It would seem that mine is particularly rare in that the extension is irregular in width and color and is not in a straight line at all. Although Dr. Katz's examination